EOMTG Taps is brought to you by StarCityGames.com. Scars of Mirrodin is coming soon, and StarCityGames.com is your source for boxes, cases, fat packs, intro packs, complete sets, and singles. Head on over to StarCityGames.com and pre-order Scars of Mirrodin today. Everybody and welcome to episode number 37 of EOMTG Taps. This is Joey Pasco flying solo yet again uh, due to some unexpected circumstances. Um, about uh, two hours ago, Joe basically had some sort of seizure. Big Head Joe and I were sitting here playing some cards before uh, before podcasting, which is pretty typical of us. Uh, I thought he was kidding at first. But, uh, because Joe's the kind of guy that would just joke around and kind of act a little silly, um, especially while I was sitting there kind of taking a long time to decide what I wanted to do, and, uh, then he kind of fell off his chair, and I realized, you know, because he wasn't answering me, that he wasn't kidding. At this point, he's okay. Um, everything's okay. He seems fine now, but, uh, we decided to just, uh, skip the podcasting for this week. Luckily, last night we recorded an interview with uh, John Medina, Star City Games' newest premium writer. So this episode won't be without content. Um, but first of all, we have a couple news items I'm going to get to. Tons of things have happened since Nationals. I'll start right off with Pro Tour Amsterdam. So congratulations to Paul Reitzel, who won Pro Tour Amsterdam with White Weenie without losing a single game in the top eight. He went 3-0, 3-0, 3-0. Pretty amazing. Uh, this was the first major tournament using the new extended, and also the last major tournament to include time spiral block in the new extended. So it's sort of a uh, a one shot format in a way, um, and it's sort of disappointing to me because uh, personally, as some of you may know, Mystical Teachings is either my favorite deck ever or uh, one of my favorite decks ever, and I really thought it would be a uh, a lot of fun to play it in the new extended, but because of the rotation coming up in October, uh, Time Spiral Block will no longer be legal. I won't be able to play Teachings. Um, unfortunately, the uh, both Teachings decks in the top eight didn't make it past the semifinals. Um, speaking of the top eight, the most exciting part of this tournament probably was this top eight, which was the most stacked top eight in a long time. Kai Buddha playing White Weenie, Guillaume Wafotapa playing Teachings, Michael Jacob playing Teachings, Reitzel playing White Weenie, Brad Nelson, who is ridiculous right now, uh, playing Doran, Brian Kibler, also just on a ridiculous tear at the moment, also playing Doran, uh, Maureen Liber playing Merfolk, and uh, Thomas Ma, who uh, is, I guess, the unknown of the bunch, although uh, some of you who follow... A lot of tournaments may have heard his name before. Um, despite the winning deck being White Weenie, the breakout deck of the tournament, in my opinion, is this treetop Doran list. Uh, basically, uh, playing Murmuring Bosk, 
Loam Lion, uh, Treefolk Harbinger. Um, basically, this deck, you can go turn one, fetch land into a Murmuring Boss, reveal uh, Treefolk Harbinger, play it, search up Doran, or... Uh, there's just any number of plays. The fact that Murmuring Bosk is considered a forest is a big deal. It works really well with Fetchlands. It also works really well with Loam Lion, which is essentially like uh, the white curd ape. Um, And the fact that Treefolk Harbinger can also search up a forest, it's able to actually get Murmuring Bosk. Um, And then, of course, Doran, the Siege Tower, being uh, kind of the namesake of the deck, or at least the core of the deck, um, being a five, five for three. Um, so I thought that was a pretty interesting, interesting list. Um, I'll post the, uh, the link in the show notes where you can look at the coverage if you haven't seen it already. Um, a lot of the decks in the tournament were using the punishing fire Grove of the Burn Willows combo, which was from Pro Tour Austin back when, uh, when Kibler won last year. But, uh, Reitzel's deck, uh, playing the white weenie strategy, he had an inherent strength against that combo. Uh, with just multiple Honors of the Pure. Um, Honor of the Pure, even one, can put a lot of the creatures out of range of uh, a Punishing Fire. Um, and in several of the games that I was able to watch, he had multiples of Honor of the Pure. So the fact that he probably fully expected this Punishing Fire Grove of the Burn Willows combo to be so uh, ubiquitous, he played a strategy that was... Uh, just a little stronger against it than than some others might have been. The other big news coming out of this weekend, uh, coming out of the Pro Tour specifically, is the 2010 Pro Tour Hall of Fame inductees. We have Brian Kibler, Gabriel Nassif, and Tamaharo Saito. So uh, congratulations to those guys. All pretty deserving. Um, the only reason I hesitate slightly is there have been a lot of rumblings that Tamaharo Saito may be a little shady, but um, I don't have the kind of information that would allow me to make uh, a judgment on my own about that. What's more uh, upsetting to me about this particular uh, Hall of Fame is that there are only three inductees for the second year in a row. Um, It used to be the top five vote-getters, but they changed the system so that only the people, basically everyone who gets 40% of the vote is in. Uh, so last year, only three people got 40% or more, and this year the same thing happened. Uh, even more heartbreaking is the fact that Bram Snepvangers missed out by one single vote. If one more person would have voted for Bram Snepvangers, he would have also been inducted. So that's just... Uh, that's just a, a heartbreaker in, in every sense of the word. This weekend also marked the first wave of Scars of Mirrodin spoilers uh, coming out of PAX and the Assault of Mirrodin party. Um, basically, Pro Tour Amsterdam and the Penny Arcade Expo both had parties where they spoiled cards. Um, I'm not going to get too deep into these, uh, being that I'd like to discuss these more with Big Head Joe. Uh, but I do want to mention the three big ones. Elspeth Tyrrell, Venser the Sojourner, and Mox Opal. Uh, two Planeswalkers and a Mox. I don't know if it gets any bigger than that. 
so let's start with uh, let's start with the mocks. Uh, the mocks, of course, cost zero to cast. Uh, it is a mythic rare, and it is a legendary artifact. Uh, that's significant. It has the keyword metalcraft. Tap to add one mana of any color to your mana pool. Activate this ability only if you control three or more artifacts. So, the first instinct when many people read this was, I can drop three moxes and and now I control three artifacts and I can tap them all. But the fact that this is legendary keeps you from being able to do that. Uh, still, this seems like it could be a really strong card. It does count itself. Um, the interesting thing is this, unlike... Chrome Mox and Mox Diamond, which were um, which were two of the more recent Moxes printed, both of those cards kind of have an inherent card disadvantage. Mox Opal does not, so that's that's significant, I think. Um, and then the fact that one, one other spoiler, which I will mention, which is Memnite, um, it is a zero casting cost, one one artifact creature construct, uncommon. So, uh, a zero cost, one, one. So, there are, uh, there's the potential for some explosive turn ones. Um, or at least there's the potential to be able to play a Mox Opal on turn one and have it actually produce mana. That's another interesting thing. Uh, you can play Mox Opal and have it just not do anything until you have two more artifacts in play. Um, and... I fully expect that to happen plenty of times. Um, people can destroy an artifact of yours to turn it off temporarily, but as soon as you play another one, you you get the ability right back. I mean, as soon as you play another artifact, that is. So uh, it's got a lot of potential, I think. Um, Moxen tend to be strong cards, and I think this one uh, I think this one is no exception. Um, Next, let's move on to Venser. Venser the Sojourner is a Planeswalker for a blue, a white, and three. He has three loyalty counters to start with. His first ability is plus two, exile target permanent you own. Return it to the battlefield under your control at the beginning of the next end step. Uh, So kind of a momentary blink sort of ability, uh, but at sorcery speed. Um, The next ability is minus one. Creatures are unblockable this turn, which is uh, a great way to kill off another Planeswalker. Just make your creatures unblockable and swing in. Um, And then the last ability is minus eight. You get an emblem with, whenever you cast a spell, exile target permanent. Uh, I think his abilities are pretty neat. I mean, this is a really cool card. I really, uh, I'm, I'm excited to try it out. Uh, unfortunately, right now, he is going for about $50 in pre-sale. Uh, personally, I think a lot of that is hype, and um, we'll get more into that topic in just a bit with, uh, with John Medina. Um, lastly, we have Elspeth Tyrell, or Tyrell, I'm not sure uh, how exactly to pronounce that, but uh, she is mono-white despite some of the... Uh, some of the rumors that she may be green-white, just due to the artwork that we've seen. Um, she is white, white, and three. Four loyalty counters to start with. Plus two, you gain one life for each creature you control. Minus two, put three 1-1 one, one white soldier creature tokens onto the battlefield. 
and minus five, destroy all other permanents except for lands and tokens. So, uh, this is the card I think I'm most excited about. Of course, I always look at these cards from the standpoint of a control deck, because that is the kind of deck I like to play. Uh, I think she is a really good control card. Her first ability, you can plus two her right away, without really controlling any creatures, uh, and she's up at six loyalty, so that next turn, you can use her ultimate and still have her around. Uh, you can also just run her out there, use her second ability to put three soldiers into play, which can protect her, and then kind of pump her up to her ultimate, which would keep your tokens around, and her as well. Um, and then Mike Flores actually brought this up on his blog at fivewithflores.com. Uh, you can run her out there, get the three soldiers, do it again, get another three soldiers the next turn, so you've got six soldiers on the on the board, and then play a second Elspeth, use her plus two, gain six life, potentially, if you've still kept your soldiers um, for the last few turns, and then use her ultimate to have several tokens sitting around to protect her, and uh, and still leaving her again on the battlefield. So, I think she could be really strong. Um, it remains to be seen what else is in the set, but she's my favorite card at the moment. So, with, uh, with that said, a couple of upcoming events I wanted to mention. Uh, firstly, Duncan wrote in to let me know about a free tournament on Thursday, September 16th at 6.30pm at Cisco College in Texas. It's in the Student Union Building. Uh, The format is M11 Booster Draft. Again, it's a free entry fee, and you get to keep your cards at the end, so uh, if you're in the area, there's really no reason why you shouldn't at least check this out. So uh, if you're interested or need more information, send us an email at yomtgtaps at gmail.com. Also upcoming, on September 11th and 12th this weekend, we have Grand Prix Portland. The format is M11 Limited, although the, uh, the entry fee for that one is certainly not free. Uh, but I think the prizes, uh, the, the payout may be a little bit better. Um, also, uh, next weekend, September 18th and 19th, the Star City Games Open Series comes to Baltimore. Uh, the format is Standard on Saturday and Legacy on Sunday, a $10,000 prize pool, and it's in, uh, Baltimore, Maryland, which, as many of you know, is our hometown. Uh, we will certainly be there representing on Saturday. Most likely, we will also be there on Sunday, although I have a feeling neither of us are playing in the Legacy event. So, um, for those of you who are looking for something to do that weekend, come on out and we'll see you there. Next week, we'll be rejoined by the guys from O2Drop.com, Dave Heilker and John Ugald, to discuss more in depth. Uh, some of these spoilers, and whatever new spoilers we get by then. Until then, you guys can take a listen to an interview we did last night uh, with John Medina, one of the newer Star City Games writers. You may also know him from his Pack to Power series over on Mananation.com. So uh, have a listen, hope you enjoy it, and we'll see you next week. All right, so here on the line we have John Medina, MTG Metagame, uh, you know, the uh, trader extraordinaire. Single-handedly one of the most valuable assets to our community. I, I agree, definitely. Hey, what's up, guys? 
So the main thing we're going to talk about, John, you just finished up your uh, your pack to power pretty recently. So first of all, congratulations. That's uh, pretty huge. And, uh, and it's pretty unbelievable, really. Like, I mean, I, I knew you could do it. I kind of fully expected you to be able to do it. When, when did you start? Like, what was the uh, the start date or the month even? I don't remember the date. I remember that it was uh, it was like the pre-release weekend of Rise when I got the pack. Okay. So, so, so I think I opened it on that weekend. Yeah. Yeah. So like it was like April was when you started near the end of April, and uh, and your end date or your goal was September fifteenth. So I mean it's not even September fifteenth now. So you know you obviously beat the uh, beat the clock at least. Um, and uh, you know the the I think most people are kind of aware of it already that listen to us. But if they're not, um, basically. What John did was open a pack of Rise of the Eldrazi and trade the contents up in uh, in small increments up until he could trade uh, basically what he had for one of the Power Nine. A- except you you narrowed it down to just eight. You uh, what was it? Time Twister is the one that you eliminated. Yeah, Time Twister because Time Twister is the easiest one to get, and um, it kind of like it just it started with. Uh, it kind of just started with Trick Jarrett uh, texting me mm-hmm. on uh, on IM or whatever, and he was just kind of like, "Okay, we I have this idea for a column," and I had I had just written uh, uh, the beginning of what I was going to start doing called uh, Powerless, and it was the fact that I had I didn't have any power at the time, any Power Nine, and I was just going to kind of talk about taking my regular trade binder and going to get power and like kind of showing people how to how to trade for power and that was kind of my idea you know but like right after i released that i don't know if it was just kind of individual two individual people coming kind of to the same uh to the same thought process or if trick had read the article or whatever um but trick was like how about this how about we trade something like a like a basic land up to power you know (laughs) and um and and I was like, yeah, we could do that, but it's going to take forever, right? Because <laughs> you have to you have to get past the basic land, you know. And uh, and then we, we were just you know talking about it, and uh, and he said uh, he said yeah, let's. Uh, it formed into this pack to power idea where we would where I would go out. So so in the beginning, they didn't really have a lot of form. It was just kind of like, uh, okay, you're going to go and, and make trades and write about it, and then. You know, you'll just get to power eventually. And then as people like kind of more more feedback started coming in and the articles in the beginning were not really they were pretty loose. They weren't really articles. They were more like, here's a progress report. Uh, I traded X for Y and, you know, that's how far I am. See you guys later. And um, so like as that feedback started coming in and stuff, um, we started to change the format of the articles to be more um, like kind of like, okay, we're going to train you on how to trade. And kind of show you why I took X and why I gave Y. And, uh, and part of that whole process was making a timeline. Because in the beginning, there was really no timeline. And since we were making a timeline, we were also, uh, I think we were just kind of extending like the expected time. Because we expected it to be around Gen Con and GP um, Columbus. Okay. Which it kind of was around that anyways. But um, so since we were kind of extending it to September, we said, you know what? Because we're doing that, we're going to cut out the the time twister. Right. Which is the easiest thing to get, you know. 
Yeah. And so so the card you ended up with was a Mox Pearl, is that right? Yeah. And, and where does that Yeah, fall? I ended up I was going to say, like, where does that fall in the, the Power 9? Obviously, like, Black Lotus seems like the, you know, number one in in the Power 9. No, Mox Pearl is definitely the top of the Power 9. That's the best one you can get. So, I mean, I, no, I'm just joking. <laughs> I was like, what? Just, I mean, I don't know Legacy, but, like, really? <laughs> like, yeah, that was done. That was not even blue, dude. Right, that's what I was thinking. I was like, I would think at least it would be, you know, the, the blue one. No, white is the what power is the, color what? vintage. You guys didn't know that? <laughs> oh, yeah. Swords to plow. It's the power color and standard, too. Yeah. Look at Soul Sisters. That's true, yeah. Indeed. Yeah. End of discussion. Um, Soul Sisters. End of discussion. <laughs> Good. I'm glad that's the end of that discussion. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah so, I'm not going to interject anything more about Soul Sisters. <laughs> so, so um, um, go ahead. So, yeah, the... Uh, so, so Mox, uh, Mox Pearl is actually, it's in the bottom rung. Um, I think, like, uh, it might be, and, and this is arguable, you know what I mean? Like, if I sat down with other traders, we would maybe have a debate about something like where the Mox Pearl is between, like, Mox Ruby and Mox uh, Emerald, you know what I mean? Okay. So, yeah. I mean, Mox, those, 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 uh, those three are kind of like bottom rung Moxes. Right. And then you got... And then you got like a Mox Jet and a Mox Sapphire. The Mox Sapphire being the the most like expensive and most prestigious. And then on top of that, you have your Blue Power and 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 your um, well, not Time Twister, obviously. Time Twister is like below Mox Pearl, and um, you know. And then you have a Time Walk and the Ancestral Recall, and then a Black Lotus. So. Okay. So so actually, what's what's roughly the dollar value of a Mox Pearl? Um, it really, this is the funny thing about power. It's like it, you can get power cheap. You can get power like expensive. It really depends on how long you shop around and stuff. Um, I think cool stuff Inc had it at like three ninety nine. Okay. Let me see. Uh, when I, when I did the last pack to power article, they put, I put how much, uh, the Mox Pearl was or one of the packed flowers, but I think it was like three ninety nine. Um, but you can get them as low as two sixty. You know, okay. if you if you if you find the right the right kind of deal. Oddly, it just sounds so, like you just moved the decimal point. You were like, yeah, packs they're like three ninety nine MSRP, right? But you can get them at like two sixty, right? You, know, <laughs> you, just, <laughs> you just moved the decimal point over. You know that that was what all was, that's all it was about. So. Uh, hey John, I'll trade you yeah. 100 packs of Rise of the Eldrazi for your Mox Pearl. Wait, what? <laughs> I think I, I think I'd probably do that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you probably, yeah, yeah, you'd probably like make a, out pretty well. Uh, I was just, you were just yeah, saying three ninety nine. I was like, man, I can get packs for cheaper than that. <laughs> <laughs> About two sixty. <laughs> like two sixty. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> No. <laughs> yeah, so like um I actually ended up with a Mox Pearl and an Illusionary Mask right, and a was... singing tree. Yeah, because yeah. that you had, you were trading for the Illusionary Mask and you you kind of had like the deal for it but you were kind of waiting for it to come in the, in the mail, right? Wasn't that I mean it was supposed to show up at the hotel or something? Yeah, yeah, the way it was working is like it was getting down to the wire. Mm-hmm. And uh, there was a guy who wanted to trade me online for his illusionary mask. He had picked up a um, – he went to a yard sale. This is like the ultimate dream for oh, anybody. Yeah. 
you know, he went to a yard sale and picked up a box of cards for like, I don't know, 30, 40 bucks. And it had like to start like a play set of Wastelands, a play set of, you know, um, the dark, you know, I don't know what else, and the Blood Moons and like, um, you know. Yeah, it had all kinds of stuff. And anyways, one of the things that he didn't really care about that was in the box was this illusionary mask. And he said, you know, I, I don't really care about this, but um, if you want to give me a whole bunch of stuff out of your pack to power, then, you know, we can make it work. So I think I traded him like $130 in cards for it mm-hmm. uh, just because it, it's always good to have a, a chunky card like when you're trading for power, you know. Um, I had already, I had already got the Grim Tutor uh-huh. and, and that card, like having a tutor and a mask, you know, that's kind of like, it's a really good basis. Then I just need a bunch of like 10 to $20 cards and then I can easily get a mox for that, you know? Right. So you had that coming, like it, it was supposed to show up, but it didn't show up in time. So in the meantime, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. In the meantime, you basically took what you had left in the binder and traded it up. And managed to get the Mox Pearl, and then you got the Illusionary Mask as well, and that's how you ended up with what you just were saying about having the uh, the Illusionary Mask in addition to the Mox. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, I um, yeah, I got to Gen Con, and it was kind of like it was kind of like perfect, like like movie perfect, you know? Because mm-hmm. I'm like, I got this thing coming in the mail, and then it actually doesn't show, and I got a Mox on the line, and I need it, so um, I was kind of just like, well, this thing isn't coming, so I need to. I need to switch gears here and I need to make up the value so that I can get this mox, you know? And, right. uh, so, so in a funny way, like you, you traded away a lot of the value out of the binder. Isn't that right? To get the illusionary mask. So you kind of set yourself back by like $130 roughly. Right. Like, and then, yeah, totally. I was tempted to just be like, Hey, look, I got this $130 in cards. Let's just add this to the pile instead of the illusionary mask. But it was already in the mail on the way, and the trade was already like agreed upon. Yeah. So it would it would be it would wouldn't be legit for me to like just take those cards that I had already traded someone and be like, oh yeah, here's these cards, and then tell the guy, sorry, dude, I'll ship you your illusionary mask back. You know? Right. Yes. Yeah, so, not cool. But uh, not- yeah, it's it's just that's a crazy situation. And um, one of the other things, and and this is just I'm curious because I know you were mentioning something about the uh, the Ravnica duels. And I don't remember if you ever clarified like what was going on there because did somebody wanted a, like a playset of all the Ravnica duels or something? Yeah, yeah. Somebody actually, this happened like in the morning of GP Columbus. I got an email from Trick, and uh, he was like, "He's like, hey, I got this offer in the e- in email, but they didn't know where to send it, so they sent it to me. And the offer was if I could get one of each um, Ravnica duel, then." I would be able to trade this guy for an English near mint tabernacle. Oh, wow. Okay. So that would have been a big jump. Another, you know, big, big card to have. I mean, because. Well, I mean, a tabernacle is like, it it depends on where you're, where you're looking at prices, but they could be as high as $300 for English near mint tabernacle. Okay. So it's like pretty much like with the Grim Tutor and the tabernacle, I'd easily be able to get. A piece of power nine. The, like if I could have got all the shocklands, the deal would have pretty much just been done. Okay. So and yeah, you kind of hinted at it in in the articles, but like it didn't seem like it was happening. So I guess it, either you know, unless I'm unless you did say it and I forgot, but like I don't remember you. Ever, or you or you didn't read it, you know? Or maybe, or maybe I didn't read it, but I swear <laughs> I thought I read it. 
No, I um, definitely, I definitely read the Pack to Power stuff, but I guess it's possible that I, uh, I, I, I missed that. But did you, did you actually mention that in the article, like how what the Ravnica duels were going? To no, work? no, I didn't. I didn't mention that because I didn't want. Um, in the beginning, like there was, a, I got a lot of heat for people saying like, "Oh, these people are just hooking up in trades because of Pack to Power," you know? Right. And I kind of didn't want to like. Um, encourage people to give me cards so i didn't want to be like oh if you guys if we can just get this set of ravnica duels that that you know we'll have this tabernacle and like so i didn't want to put any real emphasis on it i just wanted people to know that there was other things cooking you know I see. and you know and then i was going to work on trying to get there okay that makes sense so uh it's a pretty amazing thing so you have the mocks now or, or are you uh what are the plans for the mocks at this point um, I have the mocks in my vintage deck. Okay. Um, before, I guess at GP Columbus, I, I had still had no power at GP Columbus. And I was kind of like, well, I'm going to be getting this mocks pretty soon. So, um, you know, I might as well have one of each of the other power to go with it. And so, like, my goal was to have one of each power before vintage champs at Gen Con. Okay. And, and vintage champs was on, like... Uh, I think it was on Friday. So, like, I had to get, like, everything on Thursday of Gen Con, and I was hoping to do the Pack to Power Thursday and then, like, just be done Thursday, have all my, my power and play and Vintage Champs. But what ended up happening is I got all my power except for my Time Twister because I didn't need it for Vintage Champs, and then my Mox Pearl because I wanted to wait for the Pack to Power to get the Mox Pearl. Right. So, so then I got I borrowed a Mox Pearl from one of my friends. It was kind of funny. He was just like, "Yeah, I have a Mox Pearl you could borrow." And I'm like, "Dude, you have a Mox Pearl just sitting around?" He's <laughs> like, "Oh yeah, yeah, I got one you could borrow." And I'm like, "Oh, sick." So yeah, I borrowed that and I played a Vintage Champs and uh totally totally bombed out of Vintage Champs like uh I didn't didn't do well there at all, but um it was a lot of fun to play with a deck like like that was practically fully powered. Wow. Uh, yeah. What deck was it? Just out of curiosity. Um I played I played the right deck, I think. I just didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> I played the uh the uh, blue black green Tezzeret deck. Okay. And and mine still had a copy of Tezzeret in it, which is uh I guess which is totally not the way to go now. The way to go is just to have three Jaces because I guess Jace is just way better than Tezzeret. Yeah, so. a pretty good card, yeah. <laughs> So, like, I had, I think I had two Jaces and a Tezzeret. So, the new list just runs, like, three Tezzeret, um, three, um, what's that guy? The blue, blue-green guy who, uh, destroys artifacts and enchantments when he, uh, uh Trigon Predator. Trigon, yeah, yeah. Trigon Predator, that's right, yeah. Yeah, so, so I still, I, I built the latest list, the one that, um, the one that won Vintage Champs, and I have that just, like, sitting on my desk here. Uh, and it still has all the power in it and stuff. So, I mean, for now, that's where the mox is going to sit. It's going to sit in there. It kind of has a little bit of sentimental value because, like, this whole pack to power journey for me was kind of—I don't know—it was more. It was, I guess, it was more emotional than I thought it would be. You know, right. I thought it because I, I always trade. Like, I trade all the time, so. I just figured this would just be me trading and you know writing about it, and it was no big deal. But like, as like as the feed the feedback was very good from the people who were reading, and so like I got a lot of feedback all the time. So I felt like I was in this kind of like relationship with the readership, you know. Mm-hmm. And like this this whole like journey is kind of like 
it was kind of like I felt like um, like we all kind of made it, you know. So I don't really want to sell the box or like get rid of it. I'd rather just keep it and play with it and just you know have it around. Yeah, it seems like if any single card in somebody's collection could matter so much, like this card has so much of a story, and it's a story that you and anybody really can trace back and you know go on you know on the internet and read along and see the story of how you obtain that card. So I mean, I think. I can totally see why that would be something you'd want to hold on to because, and this is something I was going to bring up as well. Like it's sort of a misnomer because it is packed to power, but like what's missing from that is all the work it took to actually trade that pack to power. You know, it wasn't just really a pack that you were trading away. I mean, it was a lot of effort and a lot of experience as a trader and knowledge of different formats. I mean, that's stuff that you you needed all that knowledge to kind of get you there and um, and to be the kind of trader you are. And then the actual effort of physically grinding out these trades to to get value out of each one. I mean, and there were definitely some, and it was interesting to see some of the ones where you lost value because you either maybe rushed a trade or just you were just trying to finish a trade with somebody who might not have been as uh as easy to work with and and or trades where you just uh thought something was worth more or less than it was yeah definitely i mean every nobody is perfect at all this trading stuff and i think that's one of the reasons i wanted to show those i mean i didn't hide any trades I, i showed them all you know but one of the reasons i was glad that those kind of trades happened was because then people can see, like, oh, yeah, even Medina makes a mistake every now and then that, like, I thought something was worth more or I got emotional in a trade, like, you know, with, you know, there was one where there's a kid at my store who never likes to trade with me and, like, I traded based on, I traded based on speculation. I mean, we'll talk more about this later. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, I traded based on speculation and it didn't really pan out. Sure, I moved the cards at, like, at decent value, you know what I mean? But... It's just I shouldn't have to move them at value. They should just, you know, they should just do the work for me, so to speak, and I shouldn't have to work at that. Um, so yeah, so a lot of trades that di- the trades that didn't work out were good. Were a good learning experience for the people who were reading and you know that kind of stuff. So I'm glad that they were there. Were there uh, was there any trade in the, in the whole thing? I guess I guess what was the most controversial trade? <laughs> Is that a loaded question? Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> um, I, I think I think I, I have an idea of what it is. That's that's why I asked. Well, uh, there were there were some controversial trades. Um, the there's a couple that I'll talk about. Um, the first one is obviously the one I did with Big Head Joe. <laughs> What's up, bro? <laughs> <laughs> and that was at the Star City. I actually uh, needed those cards. Right, and that was at Star City, Philadelphia. Right. Yeah, that was at Star City, Philadelphia, and uh, I just got a I got a lot of crap for that one. I got a lot of crap for other stuff too. I mean, the whole the whole pack to power thing. Like, there was plenty of trolls who were like following along weekly, and I thank them for that. You know, reading every week, and uh, and then just like picking it apart afterward. Um, and they were just like, um, there were some people who just uh, they didn't like they didn't like the idea of it at all, wh- whatsoever. And um, so whenever a trade like the trade that me and Big Head Joe would do uh, would go down, then I would get called out, you know, in the comments and on Twitter and in the forums, you know. Um, and for, for those that, that don't know, um, 
I can you can you guys remember roughly what that trade was? Ooh, let me see um, if I can do it from memory. Um I think there was a Malakar Bloodwitch involved. Yep. And um I know that I got um a foil no not foil. I got a signed uh, Jungle Homies. Right. Signed Beast, by Beastial Menace, right? Beastial Menace. <laughs> signed by Ken Nagel and it was altered. That was a really hard card to trade, by the way. But uh but I did I got that and uh that's the oh I got a foil F and M Bloodbraid Elf. I got um I got a Rafik of the Many. Um I gave him like I gave him like I thought it was like a Zendikar full full frame basic and uh Malakar Blood Witch and something else. A vampire nighthawk. A vampire nighthawk. That's what I th- and, I, I uh, was thinking. Go it ahead. was island number island number two thirty four. That's uh That's my that's favorite Joe's, island. That's Joe's favorite that's Joe's favorite island. Okay, um, and I and I got from you there was a transcendent master there too, right? There was a transcendent master, there was a foil wall of reverence. Um Rafik the Many. Rafik of the Many I think you named everything. Rafik of the Many, the Blood Braid F and M. Uh, the signed altered bestial menace, and I don't know if there was anything else. I don't think there was, though. I think, yeah, we did pretty good on that. One. Yeah, I think that was it. Yeah. Okay. I just found the article. Um, <laughs> oh yeah, so, yeah. Tell tell us how close we were. Okay. So yeah, I think you guys got it dead on. Um, I, I just clicked the image. Okay. So Joe traded away a foil uh, wall of reverence, the uh, altered bestial menace, the foil F and M bloodbraid elf. The Rafika the Many and a Transcendent Master for Malakir Bloodwitch, Vampire Nighthawk, and an Island. <laughs> nailed it. Yeah, you guys. No, we nailed, nailed it. it. That was good. We nailed it. That was good. So uh, that, that was a pretty controversial, uh, controversial trade right there, and, and you can kind of see why. But uh, but at the same time, Man, I, I, like it was, it was, I traded cards that I didn't need for cards that did need. I needed more full art basic land. I needed another, uh, I needed one more Blood Witch because I was, uh, I had three non, uh, non, uh, gateway Blood Witches, or not Blood Witches. Nighthawks. Three, three non gateway Nighthawks, and like I had a fourth gateway Nighthawk, and I needed a fourth non gateway Nighthawk. And the Blood Witch, I needed the Blood Witch. So I felt like, Value-wise, the trade was in his favor, but for what? Like, this was all <laughs> stuff I didn't need that was he could use to trade towards his goals. His goals were met. My goals were met. I was happy. He was happy. And if both parties are happy in the trade, the trade's legit, right? I I, I believe that. And I just want to note that Transcendent Master is worth, like, 350 now. I mean, then it was worth a lot more. Yeah. But, like, I mean... This is this is the big this is the big relativity of trading, you know, is this whole idea that value is concrete. And the truth is is that value is not concrete. It's it's whatever works for the two people involved, the two people who are trading. I mean some people want to get value and uh and other people just want to get the cards they need. You know, I'm one of the people who want to get value. And if I'm trading with someone else who wants to get value and they don't get value, well whose fault is that? That's their fault. I mean, don't go out there trying to trade for value and not know your prices or not know what's in your binder. You know what I mean? Like, it just doesn't make sense to me. All these people who say, 
oh, well, there's these trade sharks out there, et cetera, et cetera, taking advantage of people when it's like some of these people don't really care about value. And the people who do care about value, they should know their stuff because if they don't, then they're not going to get the value they want. They either should know their stuff or they shouldn't trade. Right. Because, you know, it's just like, I don't, I don't know. It's like putting something on auction and not knowing anything about it. You know, it's, it's just silly to me. Totally. Uh, yeah. totally makes sense. Yeah. So, so um, let me, go ahead. before we, before we move on, let me talk about another controversial trade. Uh, there was the, the chains, the chains of, I don't even know how to pronounce the, the end of that. Uh, Mephistopheles. Me- Mephistopheles. <laughs> that yeah. Right. Yeah. So, so the ch- the trade for the chains was a little bit controversial. Um, I had a uh, I had someone in the forums of uh, Star City Games uh, kind of call me out on that because uh, I think they were a little bit confused. They thought I was trading for an English chains when the chains is really uh, Italian, and so oh, okay. so he thought I was being a smart aleck when I was writing in the in the article. I said you know something about. Um, I asked her how much did she valued the chains, and she said about thirty-five, which is pretty close for an Italian one. Italian legends is worth less than English, so I was trying to explain to people that look, Italian legends is worth less than English legends, and uh, you know that that the chains was about thirty to thirty-five dollars, and so when I when I put the value down for the chains, I put fifty-four or fifty-four ninety-nine, only because I have to use Cool Stuff Inc. pricing, you know, because it's it's what I've been using. Mm-hmm. So like Cool Stuff Inc. has it at like fifty-four ninety-nine, but the truth is is that the chains is really only worth thirty bucks. Uh, because maybe Cool Stuff doesn't have Italian chains, they probably only have English chains, you know? Yeah. And and second, like if you go on eBay and look at what chains are selling for, you can even pick them up for as low as twenty-six, you know? So, so like so that was a bit controversial. It started some uh, some discussion in the forums, and I actually didn't notice, but the person I traded the chains from commented on the on the article, and they said they said, "Wow, I didn't realize that change was that was uh, was that high," you know. Mm-hmm. And so they they probably felt a little duped, you know. Right. But um, so that was a bit controversial. But I, I think that. You know, if you look at the real values of chains, just because I put it was worth fifty four ninety nine because that's what Cool Stuff Inc says, doesn't mean that that's what it was really worth. I think the person valued it accurately. They even got a little more out of it, you know. And um, so, you know, that was seemingly com- controversial, but I don't think if you really look at the facts, I don't think it was a true, truly controversial trade, so to speak. Right. Right. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it sounds like for the most part, you had. There weren't too many controversial trades. Uh, things kind of worked out pretty well for you, and and uh, really, like, I mean, even though you were gaining value on each of these trades, it was very like incremental. It wasn't. Uh, I mean, it, it wasn't like some huge. Every trade was not ridiculous, like you know the trade between you and Big Head Joe. So, like, <laughs> well, it, it, what I would argue is like this was a big debate. Is this whole thing about? You know, okay, you're getting X dollars off people, uh, maybe because you're doing pack to power and they want to be part of pack to power, so they're going to give you, you know, extra cards for that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But, but it, it really like 
if somebody's going to give me extra cards for whatever reason it is, if it's because I'm doing pack to power or because I'm a nice guy or because I hooked him up the week before, um, it's, it's all, it's all the same. You know what I mean? Like somebody who's not doing pack to power could probably get the same type of trades from people like big head Joe or anybody because big head Joe is the kind of person who would trade in someone's favor if he felt like it was going to help the person or, you know, if he felt like the person deserved it, you know what I mean? Right. Exactly. And, and, so, and I think that's right. Yeah. I mean, it, it really, it's kind of, again, the question of value and knowing values and Hey, if both traders are happy, like big head Joe was happy and you were happy with the end of that trade and that should be fine. Yeah, exactly. So if, if an average, if an average Joe <laughs> walked up to big uh, head Joe, <laughs> Watch it, watch it. You're treading on dangerous ground there with that comment. You're, you're <laughs> flanked by Joe's here. <laughs> so if somebody, if uh, if if an average Joe would come up to Big Head Joe and say, "Hey, I want to make a trade with you. I'm just starting out in Magic, and um, you know, I need, I need, I need you to trade like in my favor. You know, not 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 with those words, obviously, because." You know, that doesn't sound like a convincing or compelling argument. But if someone were to convince Big Head Joe that they deserved the trade, then I think Big Head Joe would give them the trade. They're, yeah, I'd they're... be like, what do you value your primeval titan at? And then uh, <laughs> you go from there. And you'd trade him like Moro's Bushwhacker deck. Yeah. Exactly. Like... I'd trade him the whole. I, 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 I did. Yeah, I would totally do that. That's what I'm saying. Like, I mean, it's not even that even far off, right? Because Boros Bushwhackers got what Goblin Guides and uh, Fetchlands. You know? I literally <laughs> traded. I traded everything but the Fetch. I, I played Red Deck Wings the other day at F and M, and then basically traded everything but the Fetchlands for a Primeval Titan to somebody. <laughs> yeah, so like I just totally said that off the top of my head, but it happened three days ago. So. <laughs> Not, not three days, not three days, but like a couple oh, weeks ago. Oh, okay. I thought, I thought it was the other day. No, this was a couple weeks ago at another F&M. Um, yeah, totally did that. Like literally did that. I was just like, oh, yeah, oh you're playing Red Deck Wolf <laughs> Yeah, I mean, there was a yeah, time like, I was playing uh, I was playing in States, and uh, some kid, some kid, I don't know, he was like eight or nine, whatever. He came up to me, and he's like, do you got trades? And I'm like, yeah, sure. So, like, I open up my trade binder, and uh, this is, like, when I'm just, like, just getting really into trading and stuff. So, like, I had my binder all prepped, and I go to look at his binder, and his binder is total crap. You know what I mean? Like, I couldn't find a, like, maybe I could find, like, an uncommon that was worth a dollar, maybe, like, a Kitchen Finks or something. And he wanted uh, an Ajani Vengeant from me. And at the time, I think Ajani Vengeant might have been expensive or... I don't really remember, but there wasn't enough value in his binder to get an Johnny Vengeance. So I was like, yeah, dude, I didn't see anything. Sorry. And um, he was like, are you sure you can't find anything for the Johnny Vengeance? He goes, I really need it for my deck. And I said, no, sorry, kid. And uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, so then I was like, yeah, sorry, dude. Uh, can't find anything. Uh, you know, beat it. Scram. So like, so like after after like a couple more rounds, I got done playing and like I was standing there and he came back over to me and he goes, um, he said he made some kind of proposition. I don't remember. He's like, Hey, don't you play at this X, Y, Z store? And I'm like, yeah, he goes, well, how about you trade me the Johnny Vengeant now? And I'll, you know, next time I see you at the store, I'll give you whatever cards you want. You know what I mean? 
And I was just like, man, this guy is persistent, you know? <laughs> like, this kid is persistent. He's only like eight or nine. It must have been like a little bit daunting for him to come up to me and ask me. And I was just like, all right, I'll tell you what, dude. I'll give you this to Johnny Vengeant. And, uh, you know, you don't have to worry about hooking me up with cards. You just take this to Johnny Vengeant and make your deck better. And, uh, you know, I'll see you on the flip side, you know? So, like, I didn't really want to give him a Johnny Vengeant, but he was persistent enough that I felt like, Hey, this is really important to this kid. You know, he really wants his Johnny vengeance for whatever reason, like, you know, for his deck or, you know, to beat his friends or whatever, it's going to bring some kind of joy to his life. So why not just give him the vengeance? You know, it's worth what? $10 tops, you know, right. like it sounds like it was worth a lot more to him than it was to you in my trade binder. So yeah. like, it's, it's funny what you would, what you'll get if you just ask people, you know what I mean? Even me, like, some cold-hearted trader who originally told this kid to beat it. You know, he was, like, persistent enough to come back, and I think that earned him an Ajani vengeance, you know? That's awesome. That is pretty funny. Like, I just I like think, I think that's a cool story. So, um, so now, we, we ref- you referred to this a little bit earlier about speculation, and, um, and Joe had brought it to kind of to my attention um, in one of your recent Star City articles. And congratulations, by the way, also on the uh, recent Star City column. Oh, thanks. Yeah, I'm pumped to be, uh, to be writing for Star City. It's pretty awesome. Yeah, it's, it's really great. And you're on the premium side too, right? Yeah, yeah, I've been, I'm writing on the premium side. That's kind of, to be honest, like I really, I'm really happy about that um, because it's a, it's a cool thing to do and it's a cool thing to be a premium writer for Star City. But I am kind of, I'm a little bit bummed that, people who don't have premium can't read you know the stuff that i write um but you know the premium is so i'm gonna say so low and that's maybe a relative term Mm -hmm. but i mean 30 bucks a year is pretty legit for all of the stuff you get to read you know yeah i I mean patrick chapin alone is worth to read it's worth 30 dollars a year you know (laughs) so (laughs) so yeah Um, i mean i've I've always, and I'm not just plugging Star City Games because I'm writing for them, but I've always had a premium account, even when I was, uh, you know, when I was first starting to play. Like, I had always, even I think back then Michael Flores was writing for Star City, too. So, like, I would always read Flores and uh, Chapin um, right there on on Star City all the time, like when I first started playing, you know? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it's always been worth it to me, even as as a beginner player. Right, and and so you uh, said in. Oh, I'm sorry, Joe. I was gonna go ahead. I can't, it's really hard to get a word in in this uh, in this format. Um, so, well, anyways, what I was saying. Just, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. You're a funny man. Disconnect this fool, Joe. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Wait, you or? <laughs> oh, oh, fat panda. So, um. I just wanted to say, like, about Star City Games Premium, um, as you can tell, we've all drank the Kool-Aid. It tastes like purple. And um, Lauren Lee's been drinking the Kool-Aid lately, too. Big up. Um, <laughs> right, Lauren Lee, so, uh, new new Star City writer as well. Yeah. Yes. Lauren and- Moldriftering Lee. So <laughs> I have to say that, like, yeah, Star City Games Premium is like 30 bucks a year. I've been reading Medina's articles for a month, and, like, I just, like, 
did my first cash out following his advice and like made like 400 bucks. So like that, <laughs> I, that pays for itself. I mean, like, yeah. you know, I, I would say that like reading Medina's articles alone <laughs> pays for the day. If you follow what John Medina is trying to tell you and, and emphasis on the trying to get through your skulls on star city games, premium, um, you'll you'll make all the money back and you won't have to worry about paying for your premium. Or yeah, your primeval yeah. titans or your jaces or whatever else you want to yeah. have. <laughs> Never, yeah. So, uh, so in one of your recent articles, you mentioned that you don't actually speculate. And, um, you know, and for those who kind of don't know exactly what we mean by the word speculate, but it, it, it's kind of like speculating on values of cards that aren't actually in decks. I mean, is that, I mean, kind of like cards that you think, uh, maybe coming from a new set, like in, in the case of scars of Mirrodin, for example, you could be, you know, scooping up worm coil engine because you think it's going to be like, you know, really good. And people are undervaluing it at $7 or something. So you're going to go pre <laughs> pre-order, you know, several play sets or something. Uh, you just think it's the, the, the best card or even, you know, once a set comes out and it's, it's around and you're like, Hmm, well, the next set is supposed to be arti- artifact heavy. So I'm going to take a guess and say uh, Stoneforge mystic might be good. I mean, that's kind of, a, that's speculation. I mean, am steel I steel overseer? Right, steel overseer. That's a perfect example. Like steel overseer. The example. Oh my god! Everyone's like speculating on that card like crazy. I love trading for them because I know someone's gonna be like, oh, trade you for your steel overseer, and it's like right. It's awesome, a crap. It's right? a crappy card. Uh, you know, not taking into account the fact that uh, that scars of Meriden should probably make it a little more playable. Hopefully, I mean, hopefully for a lot of people's sake, anyway. But um, yeah, <laughs> for, for the be- sake of all the people, I've, for the sake of all the people, I've traded them off to. You exactly. Mean? <laughs> awesome. And Kelly Reed, I think that's his. That's his mo. Like, I mean, his website was quiet speculation, um, and, and now is still quiet speculation. But I know there was the doubling season thing. But uh, anyway, <laughs> okay, get into all that. Yeah, obviously, quiet speculation. He's referencing just the idea of speculating on cards, and I think that's his kind of area of uh of expertise while you know john you are more of like um you're not necessarily speculating and i guess that's what we're getting where i'm going with this because that's what you said in your more recent article so i guess if you want to want to go into that a little bit no i'll pass no i'm just okay. joking <laughs> <laughs> all right moving on no comment this is the it's i don't want to like um First of all, I'm not trying to step on anybody's toes by saying, you know, what I said in my article. Um, I also, I guess it, it needs to be clarified what specifically I mean. Um, first of all, I won't say that I never have speculated because uh, that's just a lie. I mean, I've totally speculated on, I, I speculated on um, freaking, what was that card? Uh, Gargoyle Castle. Oh, me too. <laughs> I was like, oh man, Gargoyle Castle is going to be so huge. And uh, I was like, with a land set coming out, you know, they're probably going to reprint Crucible Worlds and it's just going to be awesome. I mean, I guess it never dawned on me that with a man, with a, with a land set, they might just print Manlands, like better ones than Gargoyle Castle. Right. 
<laughs> so I had like I posted it on Twitter one day. I had like a hundred gargoyle castles, <laughs> and like I thought this card was going to be totally legit, but it wasn't. And I didn't lose a terrible amount of money. I think I I was picking them up in trade at like fifty cents to a quarter, and I think I bought like maybe twenty five of them at a quarter, and um, and then I ended up like finally like I just ended up bulking them at like. 15 cents you know what i mean so i lost at least a dime on each of them you know Mm -hmm. and then if i if it was one of the 50 cent ones i lost you know um 35 cents or is is that the correct math that sounds right yeah (laughs) so um yeah i'm not really good at math or you know (laughs) so okay right there yeah so um so yeah so i lost a bunch of i I won't say a bunch of money but i lost some money on gargoyle castle and on other things that I would just speculate on purely on a hunch and, you know, and buy. And I guess that's the, that's the, that's the key point I'm trying to make is that I don't think it's a good way to invest. Um, I, like I said, I don't think speculation as an investment strategy is a good, is a good thing to do. I think, uh, the better thing to do is, is, um, I guess kind of speculate in your mind, so to speak. And, uh, cause everybody does that. And, um, I mean, it's kind of hard not to do that, mm-hmm. but not to make an investment or not to start picking up cards unless you have data, unless you have like a top eight deck list or unless you have like, you know, unless you see demand for it. Um, sometimes like you don't need a top eight deck list. Sometimes a card is just in demand casually or, you know, is is really good in EDH and, and you have all these people playing EDH at your store or, you know what I mean? Yeah. Definitely. So it's like you actually have a market for it, or you're aware that there is a market for it, but rather than assuming there's going to be one. Yeah. So like when you say like when you see a card in a new set, and you say, "Oh, that card's going to be awesome," and then you buy twenty of them, well, you know that's not the best way to approach it because there's still there's still a window when a card like breaks in the top eight, or when a market first starts to formulate. There's always a window for you to go and get the cards that are out there right and so and that kind of brings us right into our next topic uh which is as i said to you earlier like basically the internet is crying over the current uh pre-sale prices of some of these scars mythics that have been spoiled um at the moment we've got only four rares spoiled but we've got six mythics spoiled including two planeswalkers and a mox a new mox so like obviously the hype on Planeswalkers is always through the roof. And, uh, you know, something that has mocks in the name just generally, you know, immediately sees, like, a huge uh, increase in price. Or at least, historically, every mox that has come out, even since the original five, has has been at least a reasonably valuable card. You know, we have, like, Chrome Mox and, what, Mox Diamond. Uh, mox Lotus. What is that? From unhinged. unhinged. That's what I was gonna say. Like, <laughs> I don't know. I don't. I, I don't take those sets seriously. But uh, I think that's even worth like five bucks. Yeah, it could be. So, um, so right now, what it looks like is is uh, Venser is currently like the, the top dog. He's pre-selling at like fifty bucks. He started around thirty and has inched his way up to fifty uh, in basically like five dollar increments over the course of the last like two days uh elspeth is kind of in the same boat at at the current time she's uh 44.99 she was 
this time last night she was uh, like thirty nine ninety nine. So, um, Joe, can I can, can, Joe? Can I ask you a question? Yes. How much did you get your Vencers for? I didn't buy Vencers. I didn't buy. I haven't really? bought any of these. No, because I'm not buying them at thirty bucks. Whoa! Um, fair enough. I I don't. I, th- I, th- I thought you would. I thought you would have pre-ordered them like you always do. Well, I would have. I here's the thing. I looked up Vencer uh, as soon as I. F- saw that he was what what the spoiler was which was basically when he was spoiled i started looking on ebay because it wasn't on any of the of the websites yet and there was like one auction and of course it was an auction so i couldn't actually buy it now um so when i actually started seeing a price um i think what happened was i loaded star city games and i thought all right if he's twenty dollars or under i'll buy him and he was thirty, and I said, "All right, not buying him." That was that was basically my my limit. And Elspeth, the same thing. Um, but Elspeth, I think, is better than Vencer. Um, Agreed. And uh, the thing, though, right now is, I mean, every set comes out like it, when the spoilers hit. There's cards that are sleepers, and then there's cards that are like ridiculously hyped and i mean the most recent example i think is time reversal uh price reversal right it it was like this huge hype card that was you know roughly 30 bucks on certain sites and it had no reason to be 30 dollars other than hype that was that was what it what that's you were paying for having this card you know locked up like i i I bought this card i pre-ordered it at 30 dollars and that's you know the I paid twenty two dollars to be able to say I have it, and uh, eight dollars is about how much the card is actually worth. You know, <laughs> yeah. now, I, I don't think I don't think this is a time reversal situation. Did time reversal climb in price? I thought it just came out at thirty, right? Um, I don't know. I mean, it, I, I'm sure it. I, I think it probably climbed somewhat, but I think it started uh, pretty high. You're right. I think it might have started at twenty or twenty five, but. Um, but, yeah, I don't remember a lot of climbing there. I just remember it being like thirty, and I looked at it and I said, mm, "I don't know if that's worth thirty dollars. I doubt it." And then, uh, and then, Michael J. Flores he said, "If he could short, if he could short them, like if he could buy them mm-hmm. and then like sell them for thirty, and then you know have them, you know, it's that whole stock stock option thing, right. then he would." And uh, he also said, "You know, don't don't people remember the." The same exact card that did the same exact thing for one less mana. Right, and it wasn't yeah. worth anything. Right? Yeah, he was talking, well, it's worth a couple bucks. He's talking about diminishing returns. Yeah. And I mean, it, diminishing returns uh, removes the top 10 cards of your library, I think, after you do it. But, you know, which there's a chance that you might lose your win condition or whatever. But it's the the logic was sound, you know, yeah. I think, in, in that in that, uh, in that call. And I just remember seeing it at 30. I remember thinking, eh, that's very suspect. And then... Michael J. Flores said that stuff, and then I'm like, you know, that makes a lot more sense. Like, I don't think this thing is going to be worth hardly anything. Right. And then, oh, I'm like, the, and then like the next like day or two, I seen it on Channel Fireball for 15. Yeah. And then like from from that point, it just started going like 15. Then then uh, you know it went down to 15, and then it was like 10, and then you know now it's like five to seven or something like that. I don't even know. I haven't really yeah. looked it up. I have no reason to. <laughs> I don't own any, and I'm not trading for them, and I don't really plan to get them. But, uh, but I, just to be clear, I don't think these are anything. I don't think these are time reversal uh, 
you know, I don't think these are a repeat at the time reversal situation. I just wanted that. That was an example of a card that was like really 90% of its value was like hype. Well, maybe not 90%, but you know, 80% of its value was, was so much about hype and what people expected, um, you know, before actually playing with the card. Now I think Venser is awesome. I think Elspeth is awesomer. Um, <laughs> I think Elspeth is, Elspeth is legit. Right. But here's the thing. Like, I think they're both in, in the same boat as like Gideon somewhere between Gideon and old Elspeth. Like that's where I think they are. And even at most, like they're no, I don't think they're anywhere near Jace. Right. And I think at, at most they're maybe 40, 50, 40, 45, $50 cards at the most, which is where they are right now. So basically I lose nothing, you know, like there's no reason to try to even get these cards at this value because I don't think they're going to be higher than this. They might be higher than this because of more hype, but I don't think they stay at that value. Um, so would, I guess John being the non-speculator that you are, I want you to speculate here. So <laughs> what do you think about those two specifically? And then we'll get to the mocks. Yeah, I think like, like I said, speculation in the mind is fine. And I've been thinking about these two cards uh, since they were spoiled, you know? Um, I think that it's like Venser has, he has like, he feels like he's deceptively powerful to me. You know what I mean? Like it just doesn't, it doesn't seem like, and I'm, I'm going to say this now, it kind of sounds dumb now, but like when, when I first saw Jace, I was kind of like, Hmm, like that looks really good, but I'm not sure, you know, I'm not sure how good, you know what I mean? And I think, I think there was some other people in the same boat where they were just kind of like, yeah, I don't know. I'm kind of curious about this card, you know? And, um, until like, until you actually play with Jace, you know, and then once you play with Jace, you just see like, man, this card is friggin' incredible, you know? So, so like I had that, and I'm not saying like Venser is the new Jace, but I feel like it's, he's not really fully being, um, assessed, you know? Yeah. Like, like he's the only planeswalker who can reset his own loyalty, right? And or other planeswalkers' loyalty points, you know, that you that you control. Yeah, it's it's interesting. Like you mentioned, Jace, but I and not him not being the next Jace, but I think that's what is happening. Jace is having such a huge effect on the market because people don't want to miss the next Jace or Baneslayer Angel or Tarmogoyf. But uh, Jace is, I think, the you know, the best example of it. But uh, people are just afraid, like, I better get him now at $45 before he's $85. And it's just like, you know, every card can't be Jace. In fact, no other card ever has been Jace. You know, I <laughs> yeah. mean, not liter- literally and figuratively. Like, no other card has done what he's done. Yeah, definitely. I mean, Jace is uh, Jace is a special case uh, he's what I would consider the gold standard for mythics. Like uh, I think I've written about this, or I'm writing about it. I don't know. It all it all kind of like bleeds together after a while. Um, but uh, but Jace as a mythic rare is um, is it's played in every format. You know, it's played in EDH. It's played in vintage. The vintage deck, the one that won, had three Jaces in it. You know, right. Leg- legacy decks that are winning have you know three three Jaces in it. You know, it's like even the eternal formats that have the the powerful cards i mean when you can put three jaces in the same deck that you put a black lotus and you know time walk in you know what i mean 
like it's a it's pretty it's pretty powerful card you know so so it's being played in all these formats and um you know it's a mythic rare and it's got that whole third set thing going on so it's the it's the i guess like i say the gold standard no other i mean until another card that sees that much play in in all in all formats and has that much casual appeal i mean every time you see like a magic banner or like anything to do with magic usually like in this whole period of time there's been a jace on it you know what i mean right like like a jace the mind sculptor just like doing his thing being a you know being a bamf yeah, you know <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> i'm trying to trying to watch the language <laughs> so, <laughs> So um so he's the gold standard and I think you have to like right now everything else is in flux like for what is the what is the bottom rung of a planeswalker you know what I mean and uh, I mean it might be uh you know Chandra Blaze maybe I don't know um but sounds about right yeah but what you said was like Venser is in between like Gideon and Elspeth you know an old Elspeth rather right. um but we don't really know what Gideon's worth right now. I mean, Gideon, he took a dive in price, but we don't know what's going to happen after rotation. If oh, Gideon's, absolutely. Yeah. You know, I mean, he's got a lot of competition now that we have two other five drop planeswalkers and this whole thing about like the four drop planeswalker rule. Like, I don't, I don't believe that to be honest. Like, I mean, Gideon's Gideon already has seen plenty of play as a, as a five drop. And now we have, uh, you know, the chalice, and we have moxes, you know, mm-hmm. like, you know, I mean, who's to say that, you know, five drop is not the next four drop. I mean, when it comes to older formats, sure, you know, we might not see it, it might be a barrier to entry for older formats, like some of the casting costs of these things. But I mean, even Tezzeret was a five drop, you know, and he dominated, you know, uh, vintage, you know, I mean, he fetched your time vault, too. But, you know, you you know, he was still he was still a five drop. So this this stuff is castable. You know, right? Yeah, it, and I th- I agree with you. Where it's like people are getting to turn five, people are doing things plenty on turn five, especially control decks, which uh, both the new Elspeth and uh, and Venser kind of. I mean, they both have abilities, which is kind of interesting. Like, you know, Elspeth gains you life for the amount of creatures you have, and Venser makes creatures unblockable, which seems like they want to be in creature decks, but Elspeth specifically, I think, feels like a control card, because she creates creatures as a win condition, and then can also, uh, you know, obviously destroy, basically be a Neverneural's disc um, kind of thing. So she's very control-oriented. I mean, Elspeth is, it's easy to see that Elspeth is good. You know what I mean? Like, it's easy to look at Elspeth and say, huh, like, a planeswalker that protects herself by making three dudes and then can, and then also can disc and, like, you know, these kind of things. Like, it's easy to see that that's a good planeswalker and that it's going to see plenty of play. But Venser is different. It's a different, like, I don't know, it takes a different eye to assess Venser because it's not as easy to see that he's good, but I think his abilities are relevant. And I think his last ability is just downright scary, you know? Right. Like, like especially when you have things like Moxes and Zero Drop 1-1s, you know? Like, you can, you know, blow someone's mana base up, you know? Like, completely just tear it to shreds, and then, you know, it's just by playing spells. I mean, 
forget about like if there's anything that you can take an extra turn or like or if there's a good you know pro, i'm not going to pronounce this right uh proliferate card right you know got it if, if there's a good one of those cards to add counters to Venser to get him to that ultimate quicker, like, you know, I mean, you you could be looking at a like a solid win condition out of Venser, a quick one, you know. Right. So it's clear they're both great cards. Like I think they're, I mean, playable. They're beyond playable. Um, but does that justify the price that they're at right now? I, I feel like that remains to be seen, and I think the reason they're so high is is twofold. One, we don't want to miss the next Jace, and two, you know, they're new cards. We don't know, like, anything from Scars of Mirrodin. We know, like, as a, Mythics and Rares, we have 11 cards, and clearly the top three are Venser, Elspeth, Mox. You know, so it's like... We don't have, we're waiting for this set. We don't have anything else to spend our money on. Let's just blow it all on these guys, you know, without seeing anything else that's coming in the set. And so it's, it's almost like this novelty, you know, hype kind of thing. So I think that's, that's where a lot of their price points are coming from. I mean, does that, does that make sense? Well, let, let, let's hear what, I, I want to hear what Big Head Joe has to say about Venser and yeah. Elspeth. Sure, sure. Okay, so, um, I think, I think Elspeth. Great. I think Elspeth uh, might be worth fifty dollars. Um, I, you know, do I want to pay fifty dollars for it or pay fifty dollars for any magic card ever? Hell no. I don't pay for magic cards. Uh, <laughs> but like, you know, um, would I would I trade a Venter for an Elspeth at a pre-release or a launch party or at any point in both of their lives in standard? Hell yeah, I would. Like, if they're going to value both of those cards at the same dollar amount or roughly the same, hell yeah, I'll trade one for one until I, you know, it gets, like, figured out and Venter, like, halves in price and Elspeth stays where it is. You know, until I'm exposed, I will do this as many times as I possibly can. Now, with that said, let me let me explain, like, kind of why I feel that way about Venter. Um, Venter, to me has really cool abilities, okay? Blink something. Awesome with 187 abilities, obviously. Uh, it seems like, in, uh, off the top of my head, seems like it could be really good and extended with, like, Revelark and or Ranger of Eos. Uh, seems like that could be really fun to play around with, like, in a sort of aggressive kind of strategy where you're trying to play dudes and swing with them. Um, Meddling Mage, if you need to change what Meddling Mage uh, is naming, that's kind of a good idea, too. Um, I, Iona, like, you know, like, yeah, all three it. of the Iona, Pissing Needle, Meddling Mage, all fit in the colors, all could be interesting things to, like, reset. Um, so that seems kind of fun. Uh, the second ability, Creatures uh, You Control are Unblockable, obviously has already been proven as a good ability with, like, Brave the Elements and, like, things like that. Um which is which basically makes your creatures unblockable, you know, yeah. um, or white creatures, anyways. Uh, the last ability obviously is beastly. Okay, so is Nissa Ravain's last ability. But how many times do you ever get to that ability? Like, um, what was, okay, what well, is Nissa loyalty? Nissa, Nissa doesn't take two turns to get there, does she? I mean, yeah, Nissa's, like... uh, but neither does. But what is what is Venture's starting loyalty? Three, right? Three, right. So he goes five, seven, nine, and then his ultimate is eight, right? 
so it's four turns. Right, it's something like that. Yeah, I'm, I'm gonna. So we play him turn. You know, play him. He uses ability. Second turn ability. Third turn ability, and then fourth turn he can go ultimate. Right. So you, um, you need to blink three times, and then you can do it. Yeah. No, but you right, can unless pro- you unless you I, blink him. I thought you can <laughs> proliferate once and get there on like a quicker turn. Let me see. Yeah. Well, you can. You, yeah. Well, well, yeah. But we're, we're speculating on proliferate. I'm talking about these cards like on their own. Like just kind of and, and held up to what we've already seen, not necessarily what's to come. Um, now, my major problem with <laughs> we're not we're not speculating on what's to come. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like I, I can't I can't say I can't say that that Venser works well with imaginary card X. I can only say like here's a Venser as a new card in an imaginary new format with other cards that we already know about. That's what I can, like, speculate on. You know what I mean? Um, I, I, mean like, I mean, you know, when I see the card that Proliferate is good with, I'd be like, okay, cool, now I'm going to use that on Elspeth. Um, <laughs> uh, did I say that out loud? No, uh, so here's the problem, I feel, with Venser. And, and, and again, like, most of my thinking comes from a standard standpoint. Like, he, it doesn't seem like there's going to be a blue-white aggro deck that's going to make the second ability very relevant. Um, I feel like the second ability is kind of silly. Like, it seems like it could be good in, like, certain strategies, like maybe in, like, like I said, like in the extended, I feel like Venter's going to be a really good, like a really good card. Uh, but I don't, I don't know. I don't feel like it's that great in standard. Okay, um, you can blink a Sun Titan. That's pretty good. Um, you can blink a Wall of Omens. That's pretty good. Well, I'm just thinking of things off the top of my head. I haven't really done this much, like thinking about this card too much. Um, so I'm just trying to figure out like the best case scenarios for stuff you could do with him. What else could you blink with him? Uh, I mean, uh, Seagate Oracle is another good one. Seagate oh, Oracle. See, that's the thing. Like, here we go. We're, you're ta- these are cards that are played in like next level Bant and blue white control. So maybe you never use the minus ability. Maybe you use him and protect, go right away protecting him because you, you're already playing walls of omens and Seagate Oracles to kind of block for him. So. I'll blink my wall, I'll draw another card, I still have a wall that's there to to block, and, you know, maybe I have something, you know, the Contagion Clasp that has the, the repeatable uh, proliferate, so I can, you know, spend some of my spare mana, because I haven't countered any spells or something, like, you know, next turn or whatever, to, to get, add another counter to him, and now suddenly, like, he's... Every time I play a spell now, I'm exiling things. Like, uh, like maybe he, maybe that's how he works. Is you know, just put out creatures like Seagate Oracle and Wall of Omens, and then just protect him and get him to his ultimate. And the minus ability, kind of like Jace's minus one ability, it's there if you need it. But like most people, like that's like almost like a last resort. Like Jace is like comes down and brainstorms. Or comes down and like wants to fate seal so that you can build him to his ultimate, so that you know you can win with it. Um, but wouldn't you rather like? I mean, like if you're playing white and blue, then you're obviously playing white. Wouldn't you <laughs> rather just like um, blow everything up the next turn with an Elspeth? 
like for the same mana and two turns quicker than like having to play spells to exile permanents. Wouldn't you rather just like clear the whole board with a planeswalker in one go? Yeah. Doesn't Elspeth does Elspeth say other permanents? Yeah. 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 So, uh, it's basically so other non token non land permanents, isn't that what it is? Yeah. Right. So it seems like I don't know, it just seems like given the choice, it seems silly that that Venter would be the same price. Yeah, I mean it has some neat abilities. I don't think they're fifty dollar abilities though. Like like I said, like like you know, everyone's flipping their, their, their lids, and I had to censor myself, that was good. Everybody's flipping their lids because they're like, oh, Venter's like the next Jace, and like, you know, it shoots up to 50 bucks. It's not Jace. Read the card. Read what Jace does. Read what Venter does. Yeah, but Jace Venter's is not $50 either. No, Jace is not $50, but no, so. uh, Jace was... Jace was around was $50 around this time in its, uh, in its existence, in our, in our minds. Actually, I think it was. No, it took he was longer a, because yeah, he, he was always like forty. He was for, when uh, he first came out. He was like twenty. I mean, that's what and people were going. Is he a twenty dollar card? Is he a twenty five dollar card? I I don't know. Is he gonna? I don't know if he's really gonna be that good. I mean, he costs four. Um, the other Jason only costs three. I mean, I'm uh, I'm exaggerating a little bit, but I know. But by the time <laughs> I got to the uh, the Magic Cruise, which was the release week of of uh, World Wake, he was like thirty. 30-ish dollars, and people were like, he's going up, he's like 30 bucks or 35 bucks. Like, that was when the set was out. Like, it was, it had been released like that right right before the Magic Cruise. I think that was the release date, like the same date the uh, the Magic Cruise started. So, I mean, at this point in Jace's existence, he wasn't this much, which is even more of an example to show you, like, people are so afraid of missing the next Jace, they're like pumping this guy's, this Planeswalker's price up, to ridiculous levels for really no reason. Yeah, but and I guess we, I guess we could just talk about the merits of the card or the you know, the demerits of the card. Yeah, I, <laughs> um, I, I, go, I'm know, sorry. Go ahead. You know, but when it comes down to price, like I would never suggest to anyone to go and buy anything that's pre-selling. Like I don't buy pre-sale stuff. I don't buy. I don't even pre buy pre-sale boxes anymore. I just um, – I wait until the pre-release weekend and I go to the pre-release with my trade binder and 30 bucks to enter the event and I come back with whatever the heck I want, you know? Like, right. Well, that's because yeah. you're a BAMF, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, if you want to be a BAMF like me, then just, you know, read my articles. <laughs> right. Anyway, I, I guess my my main point is just that I think even if these cards are worth this much, like even if their value does – uh, once they're in standard, hover around these prices, you don't lose out by uh, – you don't lose out if you don't buy them now because you can just buy them later if you really want to buy them at $50 each because, you know, if that's what they're going to be. And I personally don't think they're going above $50 each, um, like at least not uh, not when they're – not when they've been out for a month. I, I say like – I think by November, these cards are not more than $50. You know what I mean? And, like, and what I say is I don't know. Okay. <laughs> and, and, you know, I don't really care because I, I'm going to pick up the ones I need in trade, you know. And when you're dealing like with when – you're, when you're trading like that, you always – your cards are always worth less than their cards. 
You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. your version of the card is always worth less than their version of the card because you always paid less for your card because you've always got value in your trades, you know? So like even if I give someone 50 bucks in trade for a Vencer, it doesn't really matter. I'm really giving them like $30 in trade, you know? Right, because the stuff you traded away you got in a, in a better uh, – Yeah. You know, you, at least you assume that kind of thing. That That makes sense. That's a good way to look at it. I hadn't actually thought about it. Basically like, you know, all the – all those cards you traded up, you got for a cheaper price. So yeah, it was like $30. Yeah. So, I mean, if you just, if you just trade regularly, like I don't flip out, I like to play magic and I like to build whatever deck I want to play, you know? Um, and like, I don't flip out over, if I see a $50 price cut price tag on a card or like $80 on Jace, it doesn't matter to me because I know that I've built such a, like a base of trading, like, that my base is so solid that I can go and just trade for an $80 card. And I'm not trying to like brag and say, oh, yeah, I'm, I can trade for whatever I want. I'm just trying to tell people like all you have to do is build that base. Is, you know, it takes work and it takes time. And like this is, this is the problem. Like this is another reason why I don't like speculation is because people don't want to take time and they don't want to put the work in. They just want to be able to drop some money on a card and then see it just go through the roof and they want to make their money. You know, but that's not the way the world the world works. You know, it's not the way that it's not the way that life works. You know, you can't just you know drop your money in and then see your life progress or see yourself succeed. Instead, you have to work at anything that you do to succeed. I mean, you ask any of these pro players, and you know, any of them who spent a long time on the pro tour is not going to tell you, "Oh yeah, I just um, shuffle up cards and I go to the pro tour and I win." Like it's just the way it is. You know, um, they all put hours and hours into play testing and building decks and, you know, studying the meta game and, and this kind of stuff. Um, so like as a trader, if you build that foundation and that base and you build your trade binder and you put the time in and you trade with everyone at your shop and you trade for anything, if you just continually do that, then getting these kind of cards that are pre-release or at a release event, you know, is not going to be hard. You know, it's going to be easy. Yeah. And I, I really like, I mean, I really like that last thing you said about, like, you built such a solid base with your earlier trades. Like, gaining value on smaller trades lets you be able to trade for an $80 card with $80 worth of cards that you got for maybe $50 worth of cards or something. You know, and I think that's really an interesting way to look at it, and I don't think that really occurred to me because I think with me, like, trading, a lot of times I just think... I want to get value out of this, and if I'm not, if I don't, and I don't need that card, then I'm just, uh, what's the point, you know? Um, Like, most recently, like, I've been either getting kind of ridiculous value or trading up where it's like, okay, I am trading for a Jace, you know, I'm trading two Baneslayers and two Kargan Dragonlords for a Jace, but I can get those Dragonlords pretty easy and I can get a Bane Slayer relatively easy, and these are extra Bane Slayers, you know, like, I don't need these Bane Slayers, that kind of thing, although the Jace is extra, too, but to me, like, Jace right now being, as you even said, the gold standard of Planeswalkers, he's pretty much the gold standard of cards in standard right now, um, or cards kind of in print, although I know world... Or or cards in, in general, I mean... Yeah, I mean, he's just kind of ridiculous, so I keep, you know, I keep trading for Jaces, because, you know, at, at some point, I'm going to be able to trade those Jaces, or I'm going to trade those Jaces for, 
you know, other cards that I can, and that way I don't have to spend the money, you know, that kind of thing. Maybe trade a Jace for two Vencers or something like that. Um, yeah, definitely. I mean, Jace is a good thing to pick up unless they reprint him or do something like that. Then, you know, then his price is going to fall out the bottom. But I mean, I mean, when I sat down to trade for power, like in GP Columbus and in at, at Gen Con, the first thing the guys would ask me is, do you got any Jaces? Like, they're not even asking before. It was like dual lands, Tarmogoyce, you know, this kind of stuff. And uh, first thing, do you got any Jaces? It's like, whoa, dude. Like, you know, Jason, <laughs> they want Jaces when I'm trading for power. You know, that's kind of weird. Like, it's pretty awesome. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, like if you, if you build that value, the other thing that I guess it, people don't really understand is like they'll look at a guy like me who trades a lot and uh, gains value, so to speak, and they think that. I'm um they they think that I'm taking advantage of people when I trade. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But like if you have that solid base, there's no need to really take advantage of anyone, you know? Like I said, I'll give somebody fifty dollars in cards for a Vencer, that's fine. But it just means like that that the fifty is not what what it was, you know? And where I get that value is when people are okay with giving me that value. When they say, you know what, I really need that card and like you know, it's worth it to me to lose value. Or when I go to a dealer or like an online wholesaler and I see like day of judgments at like, you know, a buck fifty two dollars, you know, like I'll just buy like 20 day of judgments at a buck fifty or two dollars and then I'll trade them at three or four. You know, sometimes people, you know, value them at five dollars, you know. Right. So, so it's like, yeah, I'm getting my my dollar fifty, my two dollars out of it. Plus, you know, and that ki- that person's getting the card at whatever value they respect, you know? Yeah. So, uh, I guess on that note, um, we should probably wrap this up. This has gone a little longer than I expected. We never talked about the mocks. Yeah, it's a mocks. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't know. It, it, it's a, we'll get to that. Like you and I will talk about like the merits of that card, but I think m- the main topic that I like, I think I wanted to talk about was like pre-release hype and which cards, uh, and when I say pre-release, I mean before the release, not pre-release <laughs> like tournament. <laughs> but you know the hype that comes before the release of the cards. And in this case, uh, I think Elspeth and Venser, you know, fulfilled those roles perfectly. So we don't really need to go into the mocks because the same well, same comments apply. Well, before we before we get off the phone with John, let's just get John's opinion on the mocks, and we can talk about it tomorrow. Okay. Go ahead, John. Okay. I think uh, it's a mox, whatever, dude. Let's just not. <laughs> <I'm joking. laughs> I think that uh, I think it's really it's really hard to say. I mean, there's two there's two like obvious things about this is a legendary mox, so that's already you know, different. Yeah, yeah, you can't like put two of them in play, but. Whenever I play with with boxes, you don't ever really, except for in vintage, you don't really ever need two of them in play. Like it was the turn that I dropped the mox where I got the value, and then like after that, it's always was just like, you know, like in Legacy, if I dropped a you know a mox diamond, like that was the turn I Armageddon, you know, and then like after that, it's like so what, you know, if I have a mox or if they engineer explosives it off the board, like 
you know. So I don't really think <laughs> you just drew a perfect parallel between the trading idea where you're like, well, I got the value earlier, so now yeah, I don't care. I can trade for the eighty dollar chase. You know, <laughs> like you just did the exact same thing with the mock. Maybe that's maybe that's why I'm not on the pro tour because <laughs> I play like that. <laughs> I don't know. It sounds like a pretty solid way, but uh, go ahead. I'm sorry. <laughs> so um, so yeah, so I think like. I think we can definitely see um, see this mock starting to show up in deck lists. I I think with cards like Jace and like you know preordain and stuff that lets you manipulate your library, I think people will run three to four of these moxes in the deck that wherever deck that it goes in. I mean, we only need another. I think we only need one other playable artifact that's like like legit main deck playable. Right now we have Chalice. Grapple yeah, well, grappling hook, of course. <laughs> so we have chalice, we have the mox, and then if we had one other thing, like, you know, this mox would just fit nicely into a deck. Yeah. So I, the one point I did want to make is this this card will definitely, I don't see any reason why it wouldn't be a one-of in vintage at least. So, like, I mean, you know, why not? I mean... It doesn't make any sense why it would wouldn't just be a one of. So I would try to pick up foils. Like that's what I'm going to try to do is get foils because I'm assuming that it's going to be in vintage. And if it's not, you know, I'm sure that it's going to see play in standard. Like the the other thing with this mox and like mox diamond and mox uh, and chrome mox is that those are those have card disadvantage built in. Mm-hmm. So like you have like if you put a mox diamond in play, you have to pitch a land, or if you, you know. If you play a Chrome Mox, you have to remove a spell from your hand. Uh, this one doesn't require that, which is really cool, because all you all you really need to do is you may you may have a little bit of disadvantage by playing whatever artifacts you're playing in your deck. But if there's de- if there's artifacts that just would would fit in a deck and you don't need to make them fit, then there's almost like no disadvantage to having this Mox in the deck. Right, yeah, and the other thing, I mean, these work well with Tezzeret in older formats as well. Like, it's not like Ever Flowing Chalice where he, because he, he, you know, grabs it for free but puts it into play for, you know, and it does nothing like Ever Flowing Chalice. But this actually can do something. He can, he can search it up for free. I wanted to ask you another question, John, before you get off here. Um, it's more of a personal question, but it can apply to other people who are in the same boat as me. I have two from the vault relics, right? Yeah. I did not pay full price for them. Uh-huh. You mean you you paid MSRP roughly? Yeah, I paid MSRP for them. What do I do with it? Like I, I kind of want to keep the the mox diamonds. I haven't touched them. I haven't even like opened the little flap. Like I've been, I haven't like I haven't touched them. I haven't wanted to. Like I'm like, man, these are so pretty. These are like they're like little like pieces of I'm better than you. Like, <laughs> I'm like, man, I want to, like, keep this intact, but, like, I don't know if I want to sell it. Like, yeah, I could be a jerk and, like, flip them for, like, 60 bucks. I'm not saying that you're a jerk if you sell them for more than you got them for. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is my shop owner was kind enough to let me grab two of them at MSRP when he could have easily sold one for 70 You know what I mean? Like, what do I do with them? Like, do I just, like grind some of the other stuff like the, 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 the number one thing I've been thinking of doing with them is um, shipping them to selling me. off <laughs> selling the vials selling the rings keeping everything else okay like the sell the vials sell the soul rings 
because I know that they're getting, they're like, some places are picking them up for like 10 each, and like, that's decent. And then just ha- having basically like, you know, two $15 mock diamonds and a bunch of trade fodder. What do you suggest? Um, I suggest, uh, it depends on your market. Like, do you have a market for those things? Like, is there anybody who wants to trade for them? Or, you know, does the sword everyone... of body and mind, the sort of body and mind are like really seem to be really hot locally. Like people keep asking me, Oh, you got sort of body and mind. I want, I want them. I want them. You know, like it seems like people might like, people might just trade through the roof for the sword. Yeah. And you have to ask yourself, is the value that you're getting out the sword worth the money that it's going to cost to open the box? You know what I mean? Like, because you could just make money by selling them for $65, $70, you know? Right. Because I think, I think Star City is buying them for 75 now. Is that Are they really buying them? For, I, I know they were buying them at 60 or 75 in store credit. Yeah, they were. I, know that, I can tell you. They were. But uh, I know that yeah, yeah. 65 in trade or 50 in cash. Oh, wow. They dropped it. Okay. Okay, well, I know that Channel Fireball was buying them at seventy-five, because um, I was tempted to actually just, um, yeah, to just buy them, buy a bunch of them, and then sell them to, uh, to uh, what's it called, Channel Fireball. So yeah, so you can, um, you can definitely sell them to them, you know, for X dollars. Right. Like what I, what I would do, like in my area, a lot of people play EDH, but everyone who plays EDH has already like got their soul ring or bought the box. Like, you know, what I would have tried to do is get some at Gen Con and then bring them back and then be like, Hey guys, here's a bunch of like from the vaults. Like let's make a deal, you know? And since that opportunity has passed, I would just take them, sell them to the highest bidder and get the money. And then like, if I wanted something from, from the vaults, I would just trade for it later. Fair enough. You know? that, that's a, that, yeah, that's a really decent point. Because you're losing your window to get money out of those things, to be honest. And every yeah. day that passes, more people open them, and less people need the singles. And the price starts the price starts to go down on like online stores, and like because like this is a very exclusive product, but it's also the clientele is very exclusive. There's only so many people who want these foil like cards for their EDH decks or whatever, and um, so like once those people get them, the market starts to just fill up with the extras. And, uh, you know, that's kind of, that's going to happen. That's going to start happening pretty soon. So if it hasn't already, so I would just sell them as quickly as possible and then pocket the money as like, that's part of like this whole trading thing is like, sometimes you just gotta, you just gotta sell whatever you got and get the money and then trade for what you want later. I mean, you know, like there was a time I had a ton of black border dual lands and I had an opportunity to buy a collection. I just sold all my blackboard dual lands you know for like three thousand dollars you know so i could buy this collection and i just figure you know later i'll just when i'm done like trading and selling this collection i'll just trade for blackboard dual lands again or whatever you know yeah all right john well thanks for uh for joining us and uh again congratulations on your new uh writing gig on starcitygames.com I, I don't know what kind of uh, things you have planned for your articles, but they're already fantastic. So I don't think you need to give anybody any more incentive to read them because they're they're awesome. So everybody check out John's articles. And if you don't have Star City Premium, um, just go at, trade for a Jace at fifty, sell it for eighty, and then there you got the thirty dollar margin for. Uh, <laughs> for <laughs> but you need to learn how to do that. 
from John. So you just need to put the $30 up front, and then eventually you'll be able to trade $50 worth of cards for an $80 Jace. See, it's it's so, like an investment. Exactly. <laughs> Before I take off, I just want to thank you guys for having me on. And, uh, you know, I've been a big fan of the show since since the very, very beginnings. And uh, it's kind of cool to, to kick it with you guys and talk about all these different things. So I really appreciate you having me on and uh, and making an awesome podcast for me to listen to every week. Thanks, John. We uh, we really appreciate having you on, and and I like I I wrote to you earlier. Like you're like one of my friends now. I, I feel like you know just chilling with John on the phone or on Twitter or whatever. You know, it's like it's all yeah, definitely. It's 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 it, yeah. This whole this whole doing this whole podcast thing. I, I think I've gotten pretty like you know sappy about it before. But like it's it's so surreal. Like everything that happens is so surreal. Like we're making real friendships here, and like you know, uh, you know, I feel like I just walk around and I'm like, am I awake? You know, like, yeah. it, just, it just feels like that so many times. Like and it's, <laughs> it's great. Like things are just so awesome, and this whole thing is amazing. So, well, thanks again, John, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. All right, take it easy, guys. You too. See you, man. EOMTG Taps is available every Friday on StarCityGames.com. Visit our website, IWantMyMTG.com, for past episodes, t-shirts, free stickers, and more. You can contact us at YoMTGTaps at gmail.com or follow us on Twitter at YoMTGTaps.